Hi there, I'm Georgie Ainsley, and every week I talk to someone who is a performance person. They could be an athlete from the world of entertainment, business, or politics. They could even be an astronaut. The key link is, of course, that they all know how to perform at the top level, and they can teach us all a thing or two about how to do that in our own lives at whatever it is that we do. Performance People is available wherever you get your podcasts, or of course, you can watch us on YouTube, where you can also subscribe. And please do. Dr. Megan Rossi is a gut health doctor. She founded the Gut Health Clinic in 2017 with a vision to empower everyone to take control of their health using the latest science. She's published over 50 scientific papers in peer-reviewed journals on prebiotics and probiotics, medical diets, plant-based diversity, food additives, and personalized nutrition technologies. When do we really start need to start paying attention to this stuff? Look, this is a really great question. Um, and I guess, you know, the, how long is the piece of string? They've actually done studies where they showed that it's never too late to have some impact on, you know, adding more of these super six into your diet and improving longevity. How stressed you are on the basis of a month. Um, and one was sort of every week, one was one to two weeks of the month. And I was like, I can't even think beyond every week. It's, it's every day, maybe. And that's how most of us are living our lives. So how big a problem is that for our gut? What I call the super six groups of plants. So Georgie, um, I'm going to put you on the spot and see, oh, no. do you know what the super six plant groups are? <laughs> oh, you're going to show me right up now. So, Megan, it's lovely to have you on. Um, I have a fundamental problem that every time I speak to an expert, for some reason or another, I get drawn to the larder and I always pick out the worst possible food choices ahead of speaking to an expert and a specialist in their field, in which case this is a gut health conversation. So now I feel eternally guilty for having had two, not one, but two dark chocolate festive Christmas trees. I'm really sorry, shortbread cookies this morning. Georgie, you'll be happy to know that actually if it's dark chocolate, it's got loads of these things called polyphenols, which actually feed our gut bacteria. And also it's good for your skin health too. So I'm all for the dark chocolate. Don't feel guilty at all. (laughs) Oh, I love you already. This is going to be a good conversation. Um, So I went on your website and had a look about and... I did your test. I did your um, quiz and I scored nine out of 20. And I thought, well, that's terrible. That must be awful. And then I, I looked at my emails and I saw my email pop in from, from you guys. And it actually said, no, this is quite good because zero is good and 20 is bad. Right. So nine, I thought, but it's not appalling. It was sort of an okay, but could try better. I mean, what tends to be when most people who, who jump onto your website, the, Um, gut health doctor and have a look and do this quiz. Where are most people placing themselves in that conversation? You know what? You are actually beating most people. So good on you, Georgie. (laughs) Um, Most people I would say are probably more towards, you know, the, the 13 onwards, you know, towards the 20. Uh, And, you know, when we think about gut health, it's so important for everyone, right? It's not just people who've got those digestive symptoms and that's essentially why I developed that test because people are always like, well, I don't have gut issues. So therefore, you know, I don't really care about gut health. And I'm like, well, you know what? The science is now showing that it's not just about those pesky gut symptoms, although 30% of people struggle with them. But, you know, actually it's important for absolutely everyone, whether it's about, you know, improving your immune support, your brain health, your skin health, you know, your longevity, all of that sort of stuff we're now starting to realize is so, so important linked to the gut. 
Do you know, it's really interesting because looking through the testimonials on your site, everything that refers to gut health, no one symptom is the same to another. And it's really interesting because it all comes from different places for people. So some people may have been suffering with IBS, some with reflux, some with, you know, bowel irritability, some with eczema. I mean, a whole plethora of different conditions and problems that relate back to gut health. And I suppose, you know, awareness wise, we're, we're not that aware that the a good gut health can offset, I suspect, a lot of those issues straight out the back, can't it? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think a lot of the this nuances and, and, and the kind of the newness of gut health has come from this emergence of technology where we'd now be able to understand that we have literally trillions of bacteria in our gut. And it's these trillions of bacteria, people may have heard the word the gut microbiome before. So that's just essentially a scientific name for this community. And this community is doing so much for us in terms of things like talking to our brain, you know, talking to our skin and our, the inflammation skin that can link to things like eczema. So not just things like, you know, the reflux and the IBS. And it's really been, I guess, that landmark scientific discovery that's now, I guess, raising the profile. So a lot of people are starting to hear a little bit more about gut health, but I think it's still very much early days where, um, you know, we need to get that message out there that it isn't just those digestive symptoms. It really has these far reaching benefits because, these little microorganisms are like little superheroes. You know, they are doing things like talking to our brain, talking to our liver, you know, talking to all the other hormones in our body. So they are quite powerful. Because it's such early days in the gut health discussion, like you say, there's so much rubbish out there online. I feel like there's plenty of fake news around gut health. I mean, what's the most ridiculous thing that you've read as a specialist in your field about gut health? Oh, God, Georgie, I mean, there is a lot out there. I think one which a lot of people are getting tripped up on at the moment is all these poop tests available or these like personalized microbiome tests, which, you know, makes sense. You know, you send your poop away, therefore they should be able to find out which bacteria you have and then which probiotic, the live bacteria supplement you need to have to then replenish the bacteria or which food specifically you need to have. But the thing about these poop tests is actually it's still just such early days. Um, so certainly, you know, in my research jobs, I work as a research fellow at King's College in London. We do collect stool samples and we do the analysis and we look at different types of bacteria. But it's still such early days that the vast majority of the bacteria and the different microorganisms. So, you know, we talk about that we've got the gut bacteria, but actually we have like some fungi such as yeast and viruses and even some parasites living together in our gut. So it's not just the bacteria there. We've got all these other things. And actually, we haven't really been able to kind of learn too much about these other things. So these commercial tests, you know, don't really give us that full picture. And therefore, although the theory sounds great, actually, they can kind of lead you down the wrong path. So I actually recommend not to go there with those tests yet. I think in five to 10 years, we'll have more, you know, scientific, robust evidence to, to validate them. Uh, but I think, you know, the commercialization is, is sadly ahead of the research at the moment when the, when we come to those tests. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose most people dive on the latest technology advancements to sort of, you know, self-diagnose. Is, is that what we're talking about here? It's a bit like when Google first came to light and everyone just, you know, started planting in their medical symptoms to the search engine to find out and self-diagnose. Is, is it the same sort of thing that's, that's happening here with gut health? Yeah, it, it really is. You know, it sounds really exciting. So people want to, you know, have a go. But like I, I was highlighting before, you know, 
identical bacteria can be good or bad depending on the environment. So just knowing you've got a certain type of bacteria in you is not going to tell you the functionality, so what it's actually doing in your gut. And similarly, two very different bacteria can actually perform some of the same functions in your body. So it just goes to show that these tests really aren't giving you that full picture. Um, and there's so many people that, you know, come to see me in clinic who have had these tests done and they've, you know, been led to believe they've got things like candida overgrowth in their gut um, because it's like, oh, look, that that's really quite high. And then I have to explain to them, look, actually, a lot of people have got some candida in their gut and that's, you know, completely normal. These people can be thriving. They can even be, you know, um, you know, athletes and things like that. It's not necessarily a bad, um, kind of family of, of microorganisms. So again, I think we just need to be really careful with these interpretations. And I do get it. You know, we want to get really excited about it. So I don't want to like burst, burst people's kind of enthusiasm there, but I would direct that, um, to kind of more safer or, um, evidence-based kind of strategies around gut health. Is it true the gut is nine meters long? Yeah, I know. It's, it's coiled it? up in each and every one of us. Yeah. So it's this nine wow. meter, literally hollow tube that delivers that food from entry to exit. And I think, you know, actually when we talk about what gut health is, it is that nine meter long digestive tract. And we've known about the fact that obviously gut health and digestion go hand in hand. You know, if you don't have a good gut lining, no matter what you put into your body, it, you know, you're not going to get that food from your gut to be absorbed into your bloodstream to feed the rest of your body. So really to get the most out of the food you're having, you need to have a good gut lining and therefore gut health. And then the other element um, is the fact that 70% of the immune system lives along that nine meter digestive tract. And that's certainly why we see, you know, going through COVID, but also with the cold and flu, people who've got better gut health seem to have a more resilient immune system because they live hand in hand. And then, you know, we've known about those two factors for quite some time, the digestive element, the immune function. Um, but then I guess it's like I mentioned at the start, the, the microbiome component that's brought this new level of excitement. But I don't think we should overlook the fact that, you know, the basics of digestion and our immune function, particularly as we're, you know, going into winter, um, you know, our gut is, is absolutely crucial for those elements as well. Okay. Well, and the next question is obviously like, how are we going to get it better? I mean, how, how disastrous a situation is the UK currently in and how do each and every one of us improve our gut health situation? How do we make ourselves healthier? Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's two different camps of people, right? So those who actually have these gut distress symptoms at the moment. So, you know, about 30% of people you know, are struggling things, whether it's the reflux, whether it's the bloating, whether it's the altered poops, the IBS sort of thing. So actually my advice for those people is often different from my advice to the rest of the population who just want to improve things like the gut brain connection or the gut hormone connection. So if you are actually suffering with a digestive symptom, I think it's important that you identify, you know, what could be the underlying cause? You know, is it because actually you're super stressed up here and therefore the hundreds of millions of nerves that feed into your gut are literally strangling your gut? And therefore, no matter what you eat, that's aggravating and therefore causing you symptoms there. Or actually, is there something else going on? Um, you know, could you have undiagnosed celiac disease? And actually around half a million people in the UK are currently living with undiagnosed celiac disease because they see it, they get a bit of bloating, but they're like, you know what? 
it's a pesky gut symptom. I'm just going to like, you know, pass that to, to a side. So, you know, if you are getting symptoms, I do really recommend that you pop along to your GP, get a few things tested. You know, they'll obviously make the decisions. Um, but when, before you're seeing a GP, don't cut anything out of your diet. Actually, that's probably a top tip, uh, for anyone. Um, a lot of people I see, you know, cut out things like gluten in their diet before they have, um, these tests for with their GP, like celiac disease, but actually that, um, that kind of, that makes these tests invalid if you cut out gluten before you actually have them. You need to have gluten in your tests, in your diet, um, quite a lot of it actually to have a valid diagnosis of, of celiac disease. So that's kind of that, that population. And then the rest of the people who were like, you know what, I actually don't really have any of those annoying gut symptoms, but I'm starting to hear that, yeah, my gut is really important for you know, reducing my risk of dementia and Parkinson's and all these other things that maybe run in your family, right? So for those people, really the key is adding more whole plants in your diet. Sounds really simple, but essentially plants is our gut microbes, you know, favorite food group. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the leafy greens. There's actually what I call the super six groups of plants. So, Georgie, um, I'm going to put you on the spot and see, oh, no. do you know what the super six plant groups are? <laughs> oh, you're going to show me right up now. That nine out of 20 score is going to become very evident now yeah, like, as to why it's not, it's not zero out of 20. Okay, so off the top of my head, I would say nuts and seeds has to be one. Brilliant. Yes. Look at you. Okay, good. Look at me fly. Um, fruit, vegetables. Um, are they the right. same or another? Yes. Yeah, so, so three. Legumes. No, they're, they're their own Leg- group. Legumes. Yes. Yeah. Um, grains. Grains. Oh my God. You are now showing off. Am Look I at a this. star I'm people? Literally, <laughs> you are. Oh. And then the, the, the sixth one. I hang mean, on, no wait, one has wait, ever, just, ever gotten this. So. Okay. Hang on. Just, okay. So go, go back. Let's repeat the ones I have got. Which are the ones I have got? Fruit, vegetables, oh my God, the legumes, pressure. nuts and seeds, whole grain, and, um, eek. It's going to be really obvious, isn't it? Which is going to be really frustrating. It's going to be the most obvious one of all of them. Um, oh, I can't think. And we're going to be like out of time okay. on the pod before yeah. I've got there. <laughs> herbs and spices. Oh, herbs and spices. and spices. So you know what? Okay. Yeah. Don't underestimate them. They're full of these amazing plant chemicals. So when we're thinking about plants, actually trying to get something from the super six, most days where you can actually is really key to feeding the gut bacteria. Because just like us, different types of bacteria or all the other microorganisms like different types of plants. So if you're having lots of plants, but literally you only keep to the same, you know, um, you have your wheat, you have your broccoli, you have your cauliflower, you know, and just really kind of narrow types, you're actually only going to feed a minority type of, of gut bacteria. But if you really broaden that out. That's the problem with most people who shop online with their food orders, because we get really lazy about it. We just press reorder and we go again with exactly the same foods that arrived this time last week on a Monday morning at 8am. And I think that is a modern society convenience issue, isn't it? We're not in the shop picking and choosing and being different about our food choices. So it is diet is, is the way in which we live our lives fundamentally a real short, it is providing a shortcoming in our, in our gut health story because of a lack of diversity. You know what? That's, you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we're seeing in the scientific literature where everyone, we're really narrowing down 
types of and diversity of the plants that we're having and therefore that's narrowing down the types of gut bacteria we've got in our gut and if you think about each different type of bacteria they all have their own kind of superpowers. So you want as many different types of these microorganisms in you because some of them produce the B vitamins. Some of them help regulate estrogen, help some of them, you know, um, you know, talk to our brain, all that sort of stuff. So you really need this diverse range of gut microbes and therefore you need that range of plants to feed each of the different types um, to have this optimal gut health. But, you know, Georgie, I, I get it. You know, we all live at very busy lives. Um, but it's a case of things like instead of just on your repeat order getting the the pumpkin seeds, get your three seed mix. Instead of just getting your your you know grain pasta, your wheat pasta, get the four grain mix. So it's just thinking at the you know whenever you're doing online order, hey, why not just choose the diversity option? You know, no extra cost all time. It's just changing your shopping patterns a little bit. Yeah, we've just got to, I mean, we've just got to, like you say, adjust our lifestyle by a fraction and we make such a big change. I mean, that's the other thing. So if I don't have any of those underlying problems that we're talking about that often people redress with good gut health, but I want to be proactive about my my regime. I want to be proactive about my healthcare. So I'm not reactive and dealing with a problem that's already happened, but I'm I'm future-proofing myself, if, if you like. When do we need to start doing that? When's the age to begin doing that? Because I, I heard and read somewhere that from the age of 27, the body starts to degenerate, which is not music to my ears now being 46. Um, but how, when do we really start, need to start paying attention to this stuff? Look, this is a really great question. Um, and I guess, you know, the, how long is the piece of string? They've actually done studies where they show that it's never too late to have some impact on, you know, adding more of these super six into your diet and improving longevity. Um, so I think one of the, the study even looked at people who were like 70 or 80 years old and they showed that adding more of these whole grains and these plants, the diversity into your diet actually could extend your life by an extra three or so healthy years. Whereas if you did it, I think when you were in your thirties, then actually that was more like you could add a decade of healthy life. So, you know, it's never, you never, it's never too, too late to have some sort of benefit, but as early as possible, I would say, um, based on, on that study, it came out of Bergen university, a really interesting study, um, and showing, I think for the first time, just how many extra healthy years we could be living, you know, without having all these extra medications and being morbid and bed bounds and all that sort of stuff, literally by changing what we're, you know, nourishing and fertilizing, not just the human cells in our body, but the microbiome as well. And I suspect also for people that are living with disease or are living with problems, maybe immunosuppressed or, or have, or have some, some issue, um, actually good gut health. How, how much does that go to offsetting their conditions so that because they're going to be or they may be on medication anyway, but how much more can they help themselves just by making the right food choices? Yeah, again, if we look at the literature, you know, in terms of targeting your gut health, it's not only, you know, about that prevention management. Obviously, it depends on different types of immuno kind of compromised conditions that you're in. But I, I certainly see in clinical practice, it can really have far reaching benefits as an adjunct to medications that people are on. And, you know, one example is, um, for, for mental health. They did this amazing study, um, 
some of my colleagues did it in Australia out of the Food and Mood Centre. And what they showed, they put, um, they had people who had moderate severe depression and randomised half of them to getting this gut-boosting diet. And, you know, that was full of the super six. Was it plants only? And I think that's another point we should probably have a chat about. You don't need to go plants only to have good health. But the other group then just had this befriending type of counselling. So it was a really robust study because they had a diet group and then a control placebo sort of group. They followed each of the interventions, whichever they were randomised to for 12 weeks, and they came back and reassessed their mental health. And they found in the diet group, it was 32% of them had a significant improvement in their depression scores, which would have classified them as no longer clinically depressed. Wow. In the control group, that was about 8%. And, you know, when we look at the details of the study, everyone stayed on their antidepressant medication. So I think that's really important to highlight. If someone's on this, you're listening to the podcast, never, ever go cold turkey. Yeah. But as an adjunct therapy, you know, diet can have this really impressive, clinically meaningful benefit on on, uh, your mental health. And certainly my own clinical practice, you know, I've worked with some clients um, who, you know, have been on antidepressant medications and they really wanted to come off it. They they just didn't like being on it. So, you know, I've worked with them to improve their gut health and with their prescribing medic and their psychiatrist, you know, gotten them off the antidepressants. Now, obviously, you know, um, mental health is very complex and it's not, you know, a case of gut health for everyone. But we now have, you know, really quite clear, robust, unbiased studies showing that gut health, you know, having these gut boosting diets really can have these clinically meaningful results in terms of, of management of, of some of these conditions. You've written and published 50-odd scientifically, um, internationally um, uh, peer-reviewed papers. What, what's been your most fascinating discovery, Megan. But what's been the thing that sort of stood out from everything that you've done and everything you've seen and everything you've researched that's really made you think, oh, this this could change everything? Well, I mean, one of the things that we're studying at the moment is looking at food additives. So, if we think about our food supply, you know, there's around 400 or so food additives that have been proved as safe. Right. So when we look at the safety data, it was done about 50 or so years ago um, that then allowed food industry to start putting them in our food supply. But that, of course, was before we understood about the importance of our gut microbiome. You know, like I mentioned at the start, it's only been this technology that's allowed us to then, you know, sequence these microbes, i.e. look at who's there and what they're doing. So we've only started to appreciate their importance. So actually, we're starting to do a retesting of these food additives. And there are some groups of food additives um, that some of the like preliminary data data coming out suggesting that actually might be really harmful for a lot of people's gut health. And some of these foods are in like, uh, some of these food additives are in like 30% of the foods that we regularly consume. So I think for me, that's kind of like a bit of a, oh my goodness, you know, we need to really look at what we've kind of done in the food industry in terms of adding all these things in, thinking, you know, oh, it's going to help with the the shelf life. Oh, it's going to help with the mouth and the feel and the texture and stuff like that. But actually, we we've kind of need to realize that we can't necessarily have our cake and eat it too. You know, there's probably some consequences of this. Now, I don't want to scare people and go, oh, my God, you know, you can't eat any processed foods with all these food additives in it. Um, it's likely to be a dose-dependent effect. But 
I think it certainly is something that we should start to think about. Um, and, you know, that brings me to, I guess, you know, I highlighted about we don't need to just have plants only. And I think there was a bit of a trend for a while that going vegan was was a healthy thing to do. And I understand for like, you know, animal cruelty, religious reasons, um, environmental reasons why someone would want to do that. But in terms of health, actually, it's not necessarily the healthiest thing to do. We know you need to take extra supplements like um, omega-3 supplements as well, um, you know, because you're not getting things like your oily fish and, and we know omega-3 is really important for not just our gut health, but our mental health and all that sort of stuff. Um, but also a lot of these like vegan fast foods coming to the forefront, like vegan sausage rolls and even these vegan patties, actually they've got loads of these food additives in them to kind of replace that mouthfeel that we would have gotten from actual animal meat. Um so I think we just need to be really careful about, you know, the, some of these convenient foods that we think, hey, it's plants, must be healthy. But actually that processing, you know, could be having negative impacts on our health. And also how confusing is it when it calls itself a vegan sausage roll? Why can't it just be a vegan roll? I'm completely perplexed by that, yeah. but that's a whole other conversation. Um, can we talk about um, this, this gut piece being your second brain? And and how it's taken so long for people to wake up to its importance as an organ in your in your body and the job that it does for you because possibly maybe it's because it's not as sexy as some of the other stuff that happens and goes on in your system but it feels like as the second brain it plays a really pivotal role i mean just just tell us a little bit about that and why people refer it to to it as the second brain yeah, look, Georgie, I think most of us, you know, have experienced that second brain, you know, our day to day lives. You know, if we are nervous or excited, we might have the butterflies in our tummy, right? And that is the thoughts up here, literally innovating and, and making our gut feel a certain way. So we've known about this gut brain axis. So essentially, this two way communication. So you're thinking things up here, it can impact your gut. Things that are happening in your gut can impact your brain. So that two way communication. We call it the gut-brain axis. We've known about it for quite some time. Um, but I think it's been a case, again, good old technology. We've now, I guess, been able to understand more about that mechanism. So there's, you know, these hundreds of millions of nerves. It's called the enteric nervous system. A lot of people have heard of things like the vagus nerve. That's part of that system. And I think we've now really been able to kind of, you know, scan this and understand more of how that is actually connected. And that's now, you know, given people more, I guess, understanding that it's not just this hippy dippy woo-ha thing. We actually have some scientific literature to show um, that, you know, targeting this, particularly those who actually have got symptoms, targeting this independent of diet actually can have you know, huge relief on people's digestive symptoms. But also I guess there's that new key player to this gut brain communication. And that is those those gut microbes where actually We've now seen that they are able to produce a lot of different chemicals and how they do that particularly is when we eat the plants. So we talked about why plants are so important. They essentially feed our gut bacteria and there's a specific nutrient in plants um, that is our gut microbes favorite food. Georgie, come on, show me how smart you are. <laughs> what is that nutrient that feeds is fertilizer for our gut bacteria? Um, I'm, not, I'm not even going to go there. What is it? <laughs> it's fiber it's fiber oh, there we go so you know we all hear we're not getting enough fiber yeah. you know that that simple thing the government's always like eat more blah. um 
But I guess, you know, we didn't really understand why it was healthy before, but now we appreciate that actually human cells can't digest fiber. So mm. it actually goes through most of our nine meter digestive tract undigested and it form it gets into that last final part of the intestine where we have most of our, our gut microbiome. So usually live in the last 1.5 meters. Um, and they are the ones who have the enzymes to digest and break down the fiber and then produce these chemicals many of which then, you know, go and talk to our appetite. You know, some of them are thought to pass that blood-brain barrier and then impact our brain. So I guess it's this new understanding, again, of the fact that actually these microorganisms in our gut can actually have, have a communication impact of our brain that also has kind of started to elevate this gut-brain axis and this communication and, and the reason why I guess we're starting to think, okay, you know, there is a, there is a legit connection going on here. We need to target both ends. Yeah, and why we get so many gut feelings about things, I suspect. What about stress as well and, and, and the part that stress has, the role that stress has to play on gut health? How big a problem is that for gut health? I mean, so many of us are living these ridiculously fast-paced lives where, you know, on your, on your very quiz, there were various different categories of, of how you could answer how stressed you are <laughs> on the basis of a month. Um, and one was sort of every week, one was one to two weeks of the month. And I was like, I can't even think beyond every week. It's, it's every day, maybe. And that's how most of us are living our lives. So how big a problem is that for our gut? Yeah, it, it, it's huge, to be honest. And I think this is probably why, in particular, gut health symptoms are on the rise is because we are just constantly bombarded, right? Like, you know, even if you think about athletes before they just used to go to training, then they come home, rest, just chill out. But now they have to go and do their own podcast. They have to go on and do things on Instagram. You know, same with you, Georgie, in terms of, you know, you know, you, historically, if you're a presenter, you would just be on TV, come home, you know, prep, do some script writing. But now you need to be doing all these other things. So you like constantly go, go, go. And what happens is being constantly go, go, go up here literally means that those hundreds of millions of nerves that innovate your gut are like these loose wires. So they're constantly like feeding into the gut and therefore making the gut hypersensitive and therefore more likely to get these digestive symptoms. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a really big issue. And certainly when I am, you know, managing someone who's, who's got one of these gut symptoms, um, you know, we do dietary elements as well, because obviously giving the gut a bit of rest is something that we do, but I always make sure we target this up here as well. It's like the, this two-pronged approach um, to really sorting out these digestive issues. And if you're going through the menopause, I mean, that screws up so many different things. I mean, does that, does that have implications too? Yeah, no, absolutely. So our microbes are really important actually in estrogen um, metabolism because there's this collection of these microbes called the astrabolome. And what they do is help recycle estrogen. So when the estrogen is old, it gets into our kind of our, um, our gut to kind of poop it out. But actually we've got these certain types of microbes that can help turn it back into the active form and then we reabsorb it. Um, so there's a whole wealth of research coming to the forefront highlighting that if you really look after your gut health, particularly going through perimenopause, um, you can actually reduce a lot of the symptoms like hot flushes um, and various other ones, as well as if you go even earlier uh, in terms of before you get into the um, perimenopause, actually they've shown that nourishing your gut health can delay the natural menopause um, by I think it was about three or so years. Um, so, you know, these sorts of things, you know, if you can get in early, but again, it's never too late. Um, so we're starting to, I guess, appreciate 
why our gut is like this super organ that we, you know, we never really appreciate the importance of, or we didn't know who was there. Uh, but we're now we're like, actually, you know, this is like a, a super weapon. If we want to not only, you know, live healthier now, but also into the future, then looking after this little super weapon uh, is is incredibly important. You mentioned a moment ago about athletes. When you were supporting as a nutritionist, um, that sports team in Oz, what was your big takeaway from that? What was your big learner of, of what athletes did that actually we can all pick up the best bits of? Yeah, look, so it was the synchronized swimming girls, so the Olympic synchronized swimming girls, which was a really great opportunity, I guess, for me. And that's what led me to want to do my PhD is that I was looking after them, but also I was working as a clinical dietitian in the hospital setting. So I was actually seeing you know, very different groups of people. So really sick people, whether it was like kidney disease, heart disease in hospital setting, all these elite athletes, yet both groups were coming to me complaining of the gut. Um, and that was just a couple of years after I'd lost my grandma to bowel cancer. And I was like, God, this gut is this awful organ. It's causing, you know, elite athletes to have issues, very sick people. And that's when I was like, you know what, it was 2010. So it was kind of early stages in gut health. And that's when I was like, you know what, I need to, I need to find out more. And that's when I decided to do my PhD, literally throw away those fun years of my twenties to, to doing poop samples in the lab. But, um, <laughs> it was certainly worthwhile, but you know, it was that experience. And so working with the, the, um, the synchro girls was, was really fascinating. I mean, you just see how dedicated athletes are, right? In terms of they're so strict with their regimes, but also that they are under incredible pressure. So, like I said, a lot of them were actually having quite severe digestive symptoms because their training schedule, um, you know, was so intense, not only physically, but also mentally. You know, they had a lot of them, you know, still had to have a part-time job as well because, you know, synchro is, is obviously not a sport that pays a whole lot. So even though they were, you know, going to the Olympics, they were, they were still um, having to like juggle so much stuff. So, and obviously being in a very tight leotard, you can't really be looking like you're six months pregnant with some IBS, can you? So, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot from them in terms of, you know, the amazing kind of dedication that it takes. Um, but also, I guess, the importance of, you know, looking after this if you want to be, you know, at your your best performing athletically as well. And, you know, there's a whole lot of research that's coming out there now showing that athletes, particularly high-performing athletes, seem to have, you know, some specific um, types of gut microbes which actually make them better, you know, in whatever sport that they're excelling in. So they looked at marathon runners and they showed that, you know, the top marathon, Boston marathon runners actually contained um, certain types of bacteria that metabolize the lactic acid. So, and turned it into energy to make them refuel and be able to go faster and longer. So you can imagine now probiotic companies are like, we need that bacteria to then give everyone so we can all be more um, better athletes. Um, so that's, I think, where we'll, we'll end up heading, but still early days. So there's sadly no no probiotic out there at the moment, um, which will you know give you better endurance. But that's the sort of stuff that they're starting to to look at. That's insane. Let's just unpack that a minute. So they've discovered that sometimes in someone's makeup there is something in their microbiome which is allowing them to be excel at the thing that they end up 
doing to a really really high standard in, in terms of a sport that's yeah. absolutely crazy isn't it and that's not a is that a is that a um a, a genetic thing or is it a um geographical thing i mean what is the reason that they're attributing that to at the moment i know that like you say it's in early stages but that's just fascinating yeah, exactly. And I mean, we don't really know. We certainly see that in terms of the types of bacteria we have in our gut is there is a genetic component. So obviously when we are, um, if, if we're birthed vaginally, we actually take a lot of the microorganisms from our mom uh, initially, but then also the environment, you know, are we, do we have a pet at home? Um, those sorts of things, you know, do we have an older sibling? All those sorts of things, the diet that we're on, breast milk, you know, bottom milk, all that sort of stuff dictates the types of micros we've got in our gut. Um, so in terms of the the study that I mentioned about the um, lactic acid types of microorganisms, they actually don't know at this stage. Is it a chicken, the egg? Is it the case that they, you know, these athletes have, um, you know, worked so hard, you know, at refining their microbiome and therefore the microbes that are able to, you know, metabolize that lactic acid have grown and really dominated? Or actually are they that just happen to have like picked up that and therefore that has really helped them, you know, win all the races and then it's kind of the survival of the fittest. Um I mean, hopefully we'll know in a few more years. It's really interesting. I wonder how long a human performance coaches within these elite sports teams have known about this and have cultivated it accordingly to create those <laughs> marginal gains, because it's an absolute no brainer, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure they prescribe good eating and healthy eating and healthy diets, but that takes it to a, a, just this notch up, doesn't it? It's, it's the difference between being brilliant and being absolutely, you know, unbreakable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but they might even start in the future because there has been quite a lot of uh, papers published on this looking at like, is that going to be doping, right? So like, you know, sports doping, because if you've got, if you're taking specific types of microorganisms or even getting a fecal transplant, which is like literally taking the, the poop samples of someone who's amazing at a sport <laughs> and transplanting it into someone else. Now that, Georgie, you know what? You're going to laugh at me. But fecal transplants actually save thousands of lives every year. So these happen in all kind of major hospitals. Yeah. So for for people who've got C. difficile, so this gut infection, if they don't respond to antibiotics, um, then having this fecal transplant, they've been doing it for many, many years. So taking the poop from a healthy person into this person who's got this gut infection that's really uh, life-threatening, that's got a cure rate of about 95%, which is just mind-blowing. So now they're starting to look at fecal transplants in all other conditions, um, including things like IBS. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a whole other conversation. I think, uh, I know we're probably going to run out of time, but, um, yeah. So, th- you know, thinking about an athletes, you know, could this then be like doping? Cause you're actually like, you know, transplanting something or giving something that competitive edge via, you know, some sort of supplement or, or drug microbiome drug. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, the sports arena is really going to, uh, being quite a state of having to make these decisions maybe for the next Olympics. (laughs) Megan, I can't believe this. You're the only person I can possibly imagine that can link poo with performance, but you've done it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, it's like, it is, it's a legit thing. I mean, you think about also athletes because they're so run down. Um, you know, their immune systems often compromised. So they have done studies looking at some specific probiotics of giving them to athletes and, and reducing things like, you know, their, um, ability to, 
the resilience to things like the common cold and stuff like that. So there is there is a space in, in um, performance for things like probiotics. But yeah, I think the fecal samples is probably still early stages. So if any of the coaches are listening to this, I wouldn't recommend doing <laughs> doing it. Um, getting your top athlete they're to transplant it. <laughs> any like, marginal Ooh. gain, they're all over that. I'm telling you. Um, it feels really ridiculous <laughs> now to ask you about an everyday performance tip when we've just had this sort of groundbreaking conversation about poo and performance. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. If so, if if people other than sports coaches are listening to this conversation, or indeed sports coaches, what what is something that you've picked up um, in? in, you know, your personal and professional opinion that can really help people in terms of better everyday performance? Yeah, look, I think one for those with digestive symptoms, and I think it's, you know, important that we separate out these people because the recommendations are always going to be that little bit different. I would say doing, you know, 10 minutes of some sort of mindfulness if you are having digestive symptoms, because like I said, you know, there is a whole lot of these thoughts strangling the gut. So you may find that that 10 minutes of doing things like the diaphragmic breathing, all that sort of stuff really does relax those live wires that are feeding um, between your, your brain and your gut. So, so 10 minutes, I would say, if you can do that, that could, you know, have quite significant improvements in, in your digestive symptoms. Um, and then for the for people who don't have those kind of acute symptoms, I would say thinking about how you can literally, as boring as it is, adding an extra plant into your diet each day. Um you know, it might be a case of you having porridge, literally grating in some carrot or grating in some courgette, you know, little things like that. Think of it as being like a fertilizer for this little inner community that can be a game changer. You know, if we look at a lot of CEOs and stuff like that, you know, I wonder if there is some sort of magical microbiome that they have um, that could be leading, you know, them to performing that little bit higher. Um we certainly, you know, they're certainly starting to look at stuff like that. So thinking about how you can add an extra plant into your diet, I would say, is sounds like a very simple thing, but, you know, science is suggesting it can be far reaching. I think you've got your next study paper determined. That's that's the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Megan, thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you so much. It's been really fascinating. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.